Hey, everybody, we're talking to Caitlin Drago today. What an amazing woman. She is a leadership coach, consultant, and an improv artist. She has some incredible stories and secrets from her acting career that can help leaders. She's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, we have a great guest today. She has been in improv. She's been part of a stunt show and now she helps leaders build trust. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thanks for having me, Dallas. We are, we've just been so excited. I've been very excited to have this, this conversation because I feel like that, that, uh, that your background is so unique and yet I love how you use it to help people be better and higher performers. So let's, first of all, I think we just got to get this out of the way for the listeners because I just dropped a just total shocker there. You were a part of a stunt show <laughs> experience. Like what yes. in the world? Yeah. So if you imagine medieval times, but on a pirate ship with a moat surrounding the <laughs> ship, that was it. It was called the Pirate Dinner Adventure in the California. Adventure. And the character that I was an understudy for was oh gosh i'm forgetting her name but she was the captain's wife who was in charge oh. of the ship while the captain is away which he is for oh. most of the show so you know <laughs> i got to yeah and what was fun about it was that there were some stunts where you needed some muscle memory where it needed to be something that you did often to really wow. get it like there was one part where i'm supposed to start on like a a large log if you will swing okay. out on a rope over the audience and then swing back and sing. And I never could really stick that landing because I was just an understudy. <laughs> so at a certain point, I just had to say to the other performers that I knew would be in that area, hey, I'm going to swing out and I just need you to catch me and put me back wow. up. Like, All right, cool. <laughs> so, that is awesome. You know, Here I you come. <laughs> Y'all take care of me. Here I come. <laughs> and they did. That's, they always did. They did. I have been to, I actually have been to a stunt pirate show. I've actually been to the one that is owned by, I guess it's on the East Coast. I, I think apparently Dolly Pardon owns it. It's pirate. Oh, I can't even remember it now, but it's a pirate adventure. And it's the same thing. It's not, it doesn't have a moat. It does have water, but it doesn't have a moat. And so it is fun. It, it looks like they are having so much fun. And honestly, some of the tricks that I'm like, I need that in my backyard. So did you enjoy the experience that you it was as really an understudy? Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun to get to do every so often and, and a lot of times very last minute. So it was always very exciting <laughs> on, on every front. Well, yeah, I've got to ask, did, did anybody ever get hurt? 
I mean, it, it, or did, did everybody just kind of, did you ever have an I mean, act where somebody got spilled and it was like, ugh. So the interesting thing about stunts is that it's because you're doing things and you're putting yourself in, you're doing things that are not safe. There are so right. many safety precautions that mm. are put into place and safety is like the highest priority so that people mm. don't get hurt while they're doing that. Oh, that's really but, good. Yeah. That's really good to hear because then I feel better because I don't feel like they're putting themselves, you know, they're at peril just for over my dinner. <laughs> Exactly. No. So like when I say I swing, you know, I would swing out over a rope. I'm not just holding on to the rope. There's also a loop that my hand goes in that oh, I have okay, then have okay. to pull down and has a safety so that even if okay. I slipped, I'm, I might be hanging my wrist, but I haven't yes. fallen on the ground. That's awesome. Okay, good. Yeah. Then I feel much better then. All right. So I can watch it and enjoy it over a dinner and know that they're having fun and, and it's all safe. So that's good. Exactly. All right. So you've been in this career as an understudy on a stunt performance then you get into you've had some you know experience in theater and improv so how do you go and this is just a question I'll let you tell the listeners your background how do you go from stunt to improv and theater into leadership coaching that seems like you know a very interesting path yeah so the stunts were a little bit of an offshoot of okay. theater and improv. That wasn't the starting point. That would be a very interesting right. starting point. And it is a starting point for some. I went to college for acting. And then after I graduated, I did some children's theater in the Midwest. Mm. I did a couple of contracts out there. And then wow. I really wanted to go somewhere and just put down some roots. And it was New York mm. or L.A. And I had visited L.A. and really liked it. And so went out to Los Angeles and it was there that I continued taking classes and working and studying. And that's where I got really into improv. I took classes mm. at Upright Citizens Brigade, which is the school that Amy Poehler and Matt Besser and Matt Walsh oh, and Horatio wow. Sand, you know, that all of those folks founded. And so it was there that I really got into the nitty gritty of improv and fell in love with it. And when I was approaching my late 20s and really just wasn't where I was hoping to be at that point, sure. I decided maybe it's time to move on. And so my partner and I moved back to the East Coast where we're both from. And okay. I knew at the time that there were companies in New York and Chicago and L.A. that used improv for professional development and team building and communication. And there didn't seem to be anyone in my area of Rochester, New York, who was doing that. And so I started by volunteering my time and mm. facilitating workshops, mostly in the not-for-profit space. And mm. it was there that I realized, oh, this is what I really want to do. <laughs> and so oh, wow. I was working at a consulting firm at the same time and had offered this to them as it's a skill I have. I know it has this use. I'm here if you want to give you want to give it a go. And so they yeah. pull me in every so often informally. And then eventually the organization went through some changes. I got my coaching certification and it became a little bit more of a formal part of my job where I now had wow. this scaffolding of those coaching skills as well, which just make you a better facilitator overall. And sure. then I had my son and the whole world changed. And I knew yes. that 
I wanted to be doing this full time and just be doing facilitating and coaching. And so with a lot of support, I left the consulting firm and I've been working for myself ever since. Uh, Some of what I do is still that straight leadership coaching. The majority of my work, though, is around culture change, really starting with how Mm. people communicate and connect with one another. And Mm. that's through workshops and programs where we are focusing on communication and collaboration and teamwork using improv and the principles that go along with it as that platform for interactive learning and that interpersonal change. Wow, that is awesome. I love how you've chased what you enjoyed and then you had some really cool discoveries on the way. Like you shot for, you you said, I'm going to do this because I enjoy it. And then you did that and you go, oh, it hasn't done what I you know, thought it would. So I'm going to try this. And then all of a sudden you found out that, oh, no, actually, this is right. Here's what I want to do. And how cool is it that you get to put it all together? You're using it all, yeah. your experience. And because of your background in improv, I love a good laugh. And, a, and someone who's good at improv, man, that is just so much fun. But you've got a book coming out called yeah. Approaching Improv. So tell us a little bit about your book and give us some of some, maybe some strategies or a sneak peek at some of those things that you can. Oh, absolutely. Happy to. I called it approaching improv because I have found in the last several years that I've been doing this, that when I walk into a room of non-actors, people, they're on their yearly retreat or they're doing a team building thing or whatever that might be, or we're doing a whole program. It's their first time with me. And I say, hey, we're going to be doing improv together. Usually, the reaction is not, oh, great, I'm so excited to do this. And so what I have wanted to do and have learned to do throughout these past several years is how to make improv something that anyone can do, something that anyone can learn from, something that is approachable. All right. So let me, let me, all right. So I totally hear you on that. But okay. now I've got them on a tell on you a little bit, right? How so before it? the show, we were talking and we were talking about improv. And I said, I've got much respect for you because you've done improv. I wish I could. I'm not a specialist in improv. And you said, you called me out. You said, yes, you are. <laughs> and it's because you're a, it's because you're a podcast host and this is all on the fly. We don't have scripted things. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's amazing. So would you start with the basics? How would you define improv because some people see comedy sketches other people see acting you just included a podcast host so how would you describe when you say the word improv what does that mean i describe improv as an art form where everything is made up on the spot nothing is planned Mm. ahead of time and we don't have a script and Mm. as you said that i said everybody (laughs) is improvising all day every day nobody Mm. woke up with a script and Mm. so When we look at some of the principles that allow those performers that you see to be really successful within those shows and on those teams, when we take those principles and apply them to the way that we communicate with and connect with one another, it just makes us better improvisers and better communicators. And so uh, the first big principle is that we always say yes and. And that's this idea that whatever is thrown out there, we listen to it, we accept that as the idea of the moment, and then we add on to that idea. I like that. Yes, and. Yes, and. Okay. So in improv, if that would be like if we're putting a scene together, 
-hmm. you don't argue with the scene selection. You're just like, yes, this is the scene. This is what I've got. And this is what I'm going to do with it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if I said, oh, hey, Dallas, we're going to go, we're going to go on a picnic. You would say, yeah, we're going to go on a picnic and we're going to (laughs) have some sandwiches, you know, and that flies in the face of, you know, our natural tendency, which if I were to suggest something that is not feasible or is outside of the box or a little uncomfortable, our natural reaction is to say no. And these are all mm. the reasons why that's not good. We can't go on a picnic. It's snowing outside. I don't have a blanket. Right. Right. Where are we going to get our lunch? You know? And so what improv does is, or that yes and uh, principle, or I like to call it a mindset because we can't say yes and to everything. Right. What it does is it puts our focus on what can work versus what mm. can't work. And mm. it forces us to listen to the other person. Because you can't add on to something that you didn't hear. Yeah, that's, yes, absolutely. Right? And there's so many other waves that just that principle makes. When you know, when you can model that when someone comes to you, you're actually going to listen to them and look for what can work and what they're bringing to you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be building trust. You're going to be building your connection with that person. They're going to continue to feel like they can come to you with their best ideas and their worst ideas. And it sometimes takes some of the pressure that we might put on ourselves to have everything figured out and release that a little bit and know that it can be more of a collaborative process. I think it does. I think that's such an interesting way. The yes and is such an interesting way of framing that because it is a mindset Right. And, but I love how you've boiled it down because you've taken a mindset and you've boiled it down into two words. Yes. And, and that's such a great reminder. And I I think that if we can approach things with that yes and mentality, it's just, it opens you up to not only the ideas, but it also forces you to do exactly what you said, which is you got to pay attention to what's coming at you so that you know what you're saying. Yes. And too. So you have to listen. So I I love that. I think that's a great, I think that's a great principle. How do you see that playing out in, in, as it relates to businesses and teams, if you're leading a team or or an organization, how do you see that playing out in sort of that environment? Mm -hmm. Well, it requires people to slow down a little bit. Mm. And like you said, pay attention to other people. Mm. You know, we talk a lot about switching, getting rid of the word, but. And Mm -hmm. what people notice first is how often they say but. And so Mm. people that can then start to kind of play with that and say like, hey, you said the B Mm -hmm. word and we're not going to do that here. And people start to put forth these this new set of rules or this new norm that we're going to listen to each other. We're going to try to look for what can work. We're going to try to say yes and instead of yes, but and what it does is it does, it builds that trust within teams. It allows people to open their minds a little bit more. It forces them to pay attention. And you go from a bunch of people who are maybe all saying the same thing, but seem to be in conflict with one another, but because they're Uh, really focusing in on what the other person is saying, maybe even reflecting it back for understanding. 
they move so many times forward. Yeah, you sit at a table <laughs> and you're hearing two people talk at each other and you're like, you're sitting there watching this go down and you're like, you're saying the same thing. How are mm -hmm. you not totally, you should be smiling at each other right now. You're about to kill each other and you're yeah. saying the same thing. And it's exactly. just like what you're saying. It, it's using, it's the difference between using and or but. I was thinking about that as you were talking. And it's very interesting because if you had a, an idea, let's say you're in a brainstorming session and you say, we need to do this new service or we need to offer this new product. And the person across from you says, yes. And all we need to do is get the, this supplier to deliver it three days faster. That's an and statement, but it's still something we've got to figure out with the supplier. But if I say, but the supplier would have to deliver it three days faster. You just feel it's a different approach and it feels mm -hmm. so much different. Just changing those words. Yes, I'm agreeing with you. And this is all we'd have to do to make that work. And even if I still see there's some work to do, just using and in front of it makes it just shifts the whole mindset. It shifts the whole attitude, the energy. I love exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. You're not promising anything. That you're not making any promises that you can't keep. Mm -hmm. At the same time, both of you will leave that conversation feeling so much different. You'll feel like mm. you're in, you're on the same team, you're collaborating. The other person is going to leave feeling as if they know that they have been heard, which most people it, just want to know that they have been heard. If you think mm -hmm. about when someone is in like a conflict scenario or high stress, what it takes for them to come back down to mm. a place where they can actually hear you is mm -hmm. first for them to know that they have been heard and for their mm thoughts and feelings to first be validated. And right. then you have a thought partner who can actually hear what you have to say as well. Exactly. I love that. Okay. All right. So yes. And that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that is in, that's in approaching improv. Is that one of yep. the principles in yeah, your? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's one of one of the principles. So I've, the book covers what I'm referring to as the improv approach, approach of improv approach. Hey. And, uh, I like that. And I like so it. With the improv approach is basically this principle of yes. And let me say, too, before we move on from that, that saying yes does not have to mean yes, I agree with you. It can mean yes, I'm here with you. Yes, I am mm. listening. Yes, I am present. The, what it's adding to as well. So we have the yes and mindset. And then let's add on to it this concept of making each other look good. So when you said, uh, you know, you like watching Whose Line Does It Anyway, when you watch yes. that, who do you see? Like, describe to me the person who is doing like the best job. Like, who would you look at and say, oh, they're the best one on the stage? I mean, I don't even maybe it's really just whoever's actually in action. It's some you feel like it just builds or something and 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 I don't know. That's a really tough question. I, I, I mean, that means that it was a good team. If you yeah. can't point to the one person. So I always say that yeah. when you when you watch an improv show and you see the person who's getting all of the laughs, mm. they're a good improviser. The person who's setting them up is the really skilled and really great improviser. Oh, wow. So when oh, we wow. go out on stage, it's not what's the funny thing I'm going to say. It's how can I set my teammate up for success? How can I set them up for a laugh? Because we know is actually, that we this is taught. This is like a part of the, this is in improv school. This is what they're teaching. Is this other, this set is what the we other are. Person. Yes. That's mm -hmm. incredible. Because we know that if we oh. all agree to do that, we're all going to end up looking a lot better. And you don't have to go on stage mm. thinking like, oh, it's all on me to say something funny, to say something brilliant. It's not. I can go out mm. there. I can 
it frees us up to make mistakes too. I know mm-hmm. that I can go out and say something weird that popped in my head and somebody else is going to help me to make that make sense. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be all on me. So I can take <laughs> some risks. I can do some, I can feel free to possibly fall on my face because there's going to be somebody who I know is going to help pick me up and make me look good in that situation. And I am committed to doing the same for them. It's the only way that you can go out on stage without a script and put on a cohesive performance that people enjoy watching. It's the only way if we agree to say yes and to each other and we agree that we're going to make each other look good. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that about improv and how you're supporting each other that but that's a fascinating it's a fascinating point and man talk about the alignment with that and leading teams woof man there is some serious overlap on that and how much people would follow you as a leader if they felt like you had been to improv school (laughs) and they had the freedom to make a mistake while being creative because they knew that you were going to be there to support them or vice versa. And on a team, man, talking about that's huge on trust and so many things there. There's a, a significant amount of trust. And I guess in that environment as an improv, especially on a team in front of people, you're exposed. You're so vulnerable. Did you feel that? Did you feel when you go out, when you went out on the stage at improv, did you feel just an it would seem to me like you would feel extremely vulnerable in that space. It would space, 100% but maybe not. depend. Yeah, it would depend on who I was playing with, completely depend on mm. who I'm playing with, and if they're following those rules too. So you could feel it if they weren't. That made, oh, that yeah. made the, all the difference. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's nothing okay. worse than being on stage in front of a whole bunch of people, throwing something out and having somebody say no to it in some way or another. <laughs> then you're then you are vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. let's back up now. All right. Oh, that's but if you bring that oh, if you bring that to a team, like you said, it it improve it improves that trust. People feel free to, to fail. They know that they're supported. It also means that we have to understand other people as a whole person. What are their strengths? Mm. What are they passionate about? Where are their opportunities for us to let them use that strength or that passion? There's a story that I share in the book where there was a team who I was working with and they were putting together a video about what their team did within the organization because it was a little unclear to some of the rest of the organization. And so they put together this beautiful computer animated video that showed what they did. And then they slapped some stock music over it and said, ta-da. And one of the members of the team came up to the manager and said, hey, you know what? I actually went to school for music composition. Would you mind if I composed something for this? And they composed this beautiful piece of music to go along with this video And if you've ever seen a movie or even like a TV commercial with really good music, it makes all of the difference. And it it made such a difference. And it that person wouldn't have. It was that leader who created a culture where that person felt that they could step forward and say, hey, I'd like to try this because this is something that I Mm. have an interest in. Could you give me a shot Mm. here? That allowed them to really take what would have been like an okay video to something that was really 
beautiful piece of art, really. And so so it requires managers and leaders to find out sometimes what are people good at? What do they want to try? Where are there places where I can take a step back and put them in the spotlight so that they can shine and I can be that supportive role? I think it's so true. I think that we miss the value that people bring to the organization if we limit it to someone's roles and responsibilities that Mm -hmm. we predetermined before we even knew who they were when we were hiring for that position because we are greater than that and we have a lot of unique potentials. We all carry that. And so having that environment for people to bring their whole self to the team, to that environment in a safe place where they can say, oh, by the way, you know, I moonlight on the weekends as a music composer or whatever. And it's like, Uh oh, really? That was not in that person's job description, but they brought that to the team. Now the team's better. Now that video is better. Now the whole organization knows that what that team does, and it was more impactful just because that one person stepped up, was wanting to be creative and used a very unique skill set that they, they possess to do that. And it's just simply because of that culture, that team that they were able to create that. So I, man, that's a great story. Yeah. And, and I it, think that's and it so shows true. too, it illustrates that, that person that people can come and be their whole selves. It doesn't have to be, this is who I am at work. This is who I am outside of work and never the two shall meet. It's I can bring my whole self and I can feel I as if I belong here. It's the, it's the sad part is how many organizations don't get to see the impact of what people could bring. You don't ever know how, how high you could have risen or mm-hmm. how much you, how your team performance could have improved if you never get people to bring their all to what they're doing, their entire self. And I had somebody tell me one time, they were like, look, and they, I don't know why they were telling me this. They just came up. It wasn't one of our clients. It was just, I won't go into who it was, but they were just like, look, I got these people that show up. And I don't care what you do on the weekends. I don't care what you do at night. I don't care. I need you to show up at this time. I need you to do this. Don't bring me your problems. Just do your job. Literally, this man was telling me this, and I was just shaking my head. It, I was not in a position where I could say, let me talk to you a little about, about how you could get a little bit more. You know, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't actually a teachable a moment. It was not a teachable moment. He was going off and preaching about something, and I just let him go. But at the end of the day, I felt bad. You walk away from a conversation like that and you're just like, man, I'm glad I'm not on his team. I'm just glad because what a miserable, what a miserable show up and clock in, clock out existence. And I just think that we have so much more potential and purpose in our life that we're created to bring. And so when people are able to unlock that lid, just open that up. Oh my goodness. Then you get this amazingly creative custom piece of music that you can share with your uh-huh. company that costs you nothing. It costs right. that person nothing. I mean, and they volunteered to do it. What? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, if you're listening and you're leading a team, your organization, if you're not getting to know your people at an individual level and know what makes them tick and know and care about what they bring, when we talk about what they bring their whole self, what they enjoy, what they do outside of work, what they do inside of work, some hidden talents that, that maybe you're not, that maybe you're not using in there every day. If you're not interested in that, oh, you're missing so much. So I think, thank you for sharing that because that's really powerful advice. It's really good. Okay, so we're improving right now. All right, we're going uh-huh. on a script. Yeah. Not that we have a script or had a script, but I want to, I want you to talk about improv because I would love to give our listeners something. This episode should release sometime around the, in the holiday season. <laughs> and we have lots of people 
that is that are going to holiday parties and uh-huh. some of them may have a crazy uncle or aunt that just makes things a little more tense, right? Mm-hmm. Last yeah, so what we want to do is we love to give people tools. Is there just a fun improv exercise or something that you could give the listeners that they could take to a Christmas party that would make their little small company Christmas party or family gathering just hilarious. Oh, easy peasy. The one that I like to do, because it's so simple and it could be done with the four-year-old up into the 94-year-old, is one word story. So simple. A one word story? going around, yep, going around in a circle or in a room, building a story together using one word at a time. I usually start by asking people to share the title of the story. Let's come up with the title of the story just so that people, folks have an, a jumping off point. They're not sure. feeling like they're starting from scratch. Yeah. And you just, you're just asking people to contribute one word. And what's fun about <laughs> it is that it really does. It usually goes off the rails pretty quickly, which is <laughs> great. <laughs> and when, and it's different when you're playing it just for the sake of playing a game. But my brain always goes to what is there to learn about this. And what is interesting that folks usually notice through this very, very simple exercise is how often, even just once the title of the story has been Mm. shared, we already have the whole story written out in our mind and how we want it to go. Oh, wow. And, And what this does is it forces you to let go of your great idea and Mm. be in that present moment paying attention to the story that is coming around to you so that you can contribute in a way that, again, makes that next person look good and in a way that you're saying yes to the story that's happening. The one-word story. I love that idea. So if you were listening to The Last 10% and you were thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, this Christmas party is always a bore. Oh, I just can't wait to get out of there. Guess what? You have the opportunity to make it. You make it a success. It you could do. You could just be idea. sitting at a cocktail table, you know, with, with four people. You can do it with four people. That's nothing. Yeah. So yeah, you've got something to take. So homework assignment for last ten percent listeners. Caitlin says you have to do this. You have to do the one word story at the next time you get together with a group of friends, Christmas party, other holiday gathering, company party. Doesn't matter. You could be at a cocktail mm-hmm. party. Doesn't matter. You got to do it. Caitlin says you have to. So that's yep. your homework assignment. Yep. Um, and then you get now, to listen. To do it. you have any other principles out of the book that you that come to mind right now that you think would be good for the listeners? What I would encourage, and what I, the way that I've structured the book is really it it goes over that those foundations of improv. What is it? Do we have to say yes to everything? How are we building trust through this? What does it look like to make each other look good? And then I take those improv principles and that improv approach and apply it to communication skills that you probably already have some kind of base understanding of, whether it's having tough conversations or giving and receiving feedback or communicating through change and looking at how you can take that approach and infuse it to those conversations and what you already know about having those types of conversations and interactions and how to make those even more effective and how to foster communication and connection throughout. So I'll give an example. Often we'll we'll go through difficult conversations when once we've gotten those basics of improv and 
what we find is when I give people like, okay, you're two, you're two people and you're, you've got a manager and a direct report. Direct report wants to go on vacation, but we don't have enough. There's, there's no vacation days left. We're up against Mm. a deadline. Mm. And because they are directed to be present, say yes to the other person, maybe repeat back what they're saying for understanding they completely skip over any kind of finger pointing or playing the blame game of whose fault it is that there's no vacation time or and they get right to problem solving and being on that mm. same team and coming up with something collaboratively that they can do moving forward as a solution oh wow that's interesting you change the dynamic of their interaction and then all of a sudden it's just it just it totally changes the way they approach it because it's not this they're on the same team instead of hierarchical Mm -hmm. i'm here and he's there or she's there he's there whatever very interesting i like no one can be in no nobody's can be in charge in an improv scene yeah that's right uh that's very good that's very good i would love to continue because when you talk about that you already are changing the dynamic of that team and you're getting you kind of reframing it in a different way to get people to work together when you talk about creating cultures of empathy and trust and creativity, what are some things, if you, is there some success stories or some examples or some things that you're just passionate about when you go into teams and companies? I just, I like your focus on culture and building yeah. that. What's been something that's worked for you? I, I think about the person who, when I walk in the room, has their arms crossed mm. and just isn't here for it. Mm. And... Right. Through the course of our work together, you know, slowly the arms uncross. They Mm. understand that they're being heard, that people are going to be there to support them, that if there is some animosity in between people, if you put them in a situation where they have to say yes to each other and listen to one another, that's going to give them that, that little glimmer of that moment of seeing what this relation could, what this relationship could be. And I've had people who, I just had a group who I worked with a couple of weeks ago, who I had worked with maybe five years ago at a retreat. And they share, like, we still have our, you know, I give them these yes and signs. We still have our (laughs) yes and signs up. We still, this is something that is a constant reminder for us. And it Mm. can be that really easy to remember North Star of, we're going to say yes and we're going to make each other look good. And when we do that, like I said, it helps to build that trust because people know that when I go to talk to you, even if it's a tough conversation, I know that you're not going to know but me. You're going to at least listen and consider what I have to say. And the, the bonus there is that when people feel like they can come to you with with their great ideas and their terrible ideas and you're going to listen it also means that they can come to you sooner when there is a problem because they're not worried about how you're going to react. Mm. They know that even if it's tough, yeah, you're going to be present I, with them. I really love how you started that conversation. When I asked you that question, it, I just, the first thing you said, you could have easily, cause I teed you up. You could have easily jumped in and said, here's the three things that I always like to do when I'm going into an organization to look at their culture, X, Y, Z. But the first thing that you said is, I like to notice the person in the back of the room with their hands crossed. I just, I love that. I love that because 
number one, it shows your craftsmanship of the, the history of the trade of improv and being able to notice and read a room and not just think about what you're doing, but see the whole picture and see how the person in the back of the room with their hands crossed fits into the picture. And I think as leaders, sometimes we get so much coming at us and we're, there's so that we're so much in the middle of the improv. Sometimes we overlook the person with their hands crossed in the back of the room. And I think that is a, a great, a great picture of the challenge of leadership is that as we're moving through these teams, we are looking for the people with the hands crossed, not to necessarily push them out, but to bring them in and say, hey, let me, what's going on? What's, why are you having a bad day? Why is this? A, let's make it a space where, where they feel like they can bring their best. And what's the reasons why you can't? And then all of a sudden, like you said, you just start to see those shoulders drop and then engage and all of a sudden turn out to be a really big advocate and participant in the team and the organization. So I definitely think that's fantastic. That's a great story. Very good. Very good answer to that. I love that. When you're when you were in LA, how did you stay motivated in that environment? Because you were there for years. So how did Yeah, that, I was there for most that? of my twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there is a there's a whole lot of rejection. And I think that served me well. <laughs> if you're a if you're a mm. business owner, it's something that you're going to something that you're going to experience. And yeah. just being comfortable with yourself and understanding that you are not going to be for everyone. And right. that is okay. It also made me realize what was important to me. I mm. got to a point where, you know, unfortunately, and I think things are sl very slowly changing for the better in the entertainment industry. But a lot of when it came to getting auditions or getting jobs or networking and connecting, it was more about who you knew and what you looked like than mm. your skill or talent. And after a while, that just wasn't an industry that I wanted to be in. Sure. I wanted to be able to do something where more than that was taken into consideration. 100%. However, throughout all of that, everything that I have learned, I have put into practice. So as an right. actor, your job is to be present and to be only focused on the person in front of you. Mm. Because we say, you know, it's not acting, it's reacting. So whatever you give to me, I'm letting that impact me as that character and giving my response uh. from that place. And when I started coaching, it was that direct transfer of skills. Right. Except I'm just not in front of a, <laughs> an audience. But I, I still that's... get to zone in and focus on another person and let yeah. what they have to say impact me and set off my curiosity so that we can have that productive mm. conversation. Oh, that, now that is, that's awesome. I love that. And I think that's a, such a transferable skill. And you've said so many things that you learned while you were in, in doing improv or the acting that is so powerful as it relates to communication with just with people one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and listening and going through that and just paying attention to, to the energy that they're putting back at you and, and translating that back. It's just the whole thing has just been very good. I think that's, I think that's a really great experience. And I think it's interesting because although you went through and were in that environment, and obviously it's not something that you necessarily align with now, all those kind of the grind that you went through while you were going to these classes and doing these auditions, doing all, this stuff, all that, like you said, is completely transferable into what you are aligned with, which is, I think it's, 
your impact is, is pretty high now on that. So I think that's really great. And so well done. So I want to give any kind of insights because you work a lot with teams. Is there mm-hmm. any other insights that you would like based on your experience or observations? And let's say I'm on a team and I'm on an average team and I know I'm average. If I'm leading that team, if I wanted to bring something to increase the performance of that team, what advice would you give? I think that everything starts from a place of connection and understanding of one another. Mm. There's there's a group that I'm working with right now. We did a whole culture survey to see what's going well, what's not going so well. And so often it has to do with people's understanding of others and what they're up against and what they're bringing to the table. And when you can just make that, it feels like a simple thing to do. It can be very complicated because there can be a lot of barriers to communication. Mm -hmm. But if you can get those people to be able to connect with one another on even on a simple human level, just so that they're, when they do have future communications, they're talking to a person who they have met, who they have, or some kind of connection with who they can see as a person versus just an obstacle on the other end of an email. That's going to start to make that shift. And if you can put them in a situation to connect where they are laughing together and learning (laughs) how to say yes and making each other look good, bonus. But so I'm, I'm going off a little bit on a tangent here, but I will also say if you do any kind of training, and you have an opportunity to mix people up, let that be an opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. Yes. Let it be a place where people can have that connection, can learn together if there is some kind of levity there that they could laugh with one another. With one another. We know that laughter bonds people and builds yes. that trust and that, that connection. Let that be a place where it doesn't have to be, okay, all the leaders are going to be in this group. All of the individual contributors are going to be in this group. Let people mix. Use that as an opportunity to build those connections. Wherever there's an opportunity for people to connect, allow them to. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic advice. And I hope that our listeners, if you are not, if you're not intentionally creating environments and spaces for people to build connection. And and I think that what your point is so true you've got to be intentional about that. You, if, especially if you're not necessarily geared towards the relational component. If you're a technical expert in whatever it is, whether it's engineering or medicine or law, whatever it is, but you're more geared towards the technical side of things, you've got to be even more intentional about giving space for people to connect, shared experiences, laughter, and just changing it up and mixing it up with perspective. So I think your advice is spot on. So I hope our listeners are taking copious notes and, and that's really good stuff. So we ask all of our guests who they would like to see on the last 10%. And we were talking before the show, you actually have a very unique, really unique guest. So who would you like to see so I, this was, you know, I went to like, oh, well, of course I want to see like Brene Brown on the show. I want to see Glennon Doyle sure. on the show. Yeah. But you asked for yeah. like, who is someone who's just really interesting? And yeah. I thought of, <laughs> I thought the, but the first person that came to my mind was my friend Mateo. Um, he's someone who worked in uh, counseling at colleges for a long time. 
And then now is doing, it's called Cobb Building. So they're building like homes and structures and like pizza ovens out of earth, basically out of things that are already in your yard. And he goes around and does these workshops. And it's just this different intentional way of living and building with what you already have with this background in counseling. And just it's just it's a fascinating situation. (laughs) And when you talk, I think I think the idea of the living in the last 10 percent that could be defined in a lot of different ways from that, like hustle culture to the other end of hustle culture. And I think that it would just bring an interesting perspective. I loved it and I checked him out and it's, I'll be honest, I did not even, it's Cobb is referred to as, you know, this dirt and he's building. And listen, when he, when she says he's building stuff, Caitlin A. Lunch, he is building like, it is impressive. Some of the stuff that he builds yeah. out of this mud type stuff. I don't know, but it's, yeah. So we might have to reach out to him and, and see if we can get your, I think it'd be a fascinating show because he's happy to like make an very, introduction. Yeah. He seems like an interesting guy. So we just, it would just be fun to talk, I think. So that'd be great. All right. You've got a lot of stuff going on. You're facilitating, you've got workshops, you've got this new book out. How can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you and buy your book? And we'll put all this in the show notes, but how can people mm-hmm. reach out and find Miss Caitlin? They can find my website. It's inspireimprov.com. And there they can contact me. They can see information on my whole communication and collaboration program. And there's info on the book there as well. Also, if you just hop on Amazon and look for Approaching Improv, Communication and Connection and Business and Beyond, they would find that there as well. That's awesome. Thank you. Caitlin, this has just been a pleasure. It has been so fun. I feel like I've been enlightened on improv. I feel actually, I feel pretty awesome that I'm I can be part of the improv community now because uh, <laughs> you absolutely told me I'm part of it. So that's good. And uh, I appreciate your time and your wisdom that you shared with all of us just today on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.